The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Joining us this week on Mixing a Water Monday is former Gamecock quarterback and captain Perry Orth, who will be a father soon. So congratulations to you, Perry, and your wife, Shannon. But let's get into... Thanks, Gamecock football, because it's not all sunshine and rainbows over there. Yeah, get that water. water. I'm sure there's plenty of people at work today still drinking water after what they saw this past weekend. And look, you're two and six. I had Jacob August on last week, and unfortunately, you had to go through, you know, some lows during your time at South Carolina. During this stretch, loss after loss after loss, what's the most important thing that the players have to do in order to make sure that uh, they're able to continue to to show some fight, especially knowing yeah. you have four games to go still. Yeah, it's the belief that you can get the win that you need, right? It's the belief, the the win versus Jacksonville State, a really good Jacksonville State team, by the way. Um, how do I have great weeks of practice leading up to the game so I can go out and execute at the highest level possible? Um, you know, I mean, you're at this point, you're playing for pride, you're playing for bowl eligibility. And even more than that, you're just you're you're playing the game that you love, that you're getting your school paid for to do. Um, and you always want to put the best product out on the field. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the guys respond to that. It'll be interesting to see how the team overall responds. Um, but, you know, in each loss that we've had over the last month, there have been a lot of bright spots. There have been a lot of things that you can highlight and say, hey, we're doing X really, really well. And um, I think finally getting a, you know, they're really good, but a lesser opponent will hopefully allow us to get some breathing room, get into our rhythm, uh, win this one, get some confidence for the last three, which, you know, we have to win out if we want to make a bowl. And um, by the way, the, 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 the last three are all very winnable games. You know, you look at Vanderbilt as, bottom tier of the conference, Kentucky's mid-tier and and Clemson's struggling right now as well. So you look at the the remaining remaining games and it can be done. We've played well at home. We play well um, in November under Coach Beamer. So we just got to go out there and do it. He mentioned some of the good. And trust me, if you're not familiar with the post-game shows or some of the things that we've been talking about on Gamecock Central, we're not sugarcoating stuff. We've We've shed light on plenty of the negative, and we'll get into some of the negative in just a little bit. But since it's Monday, trying to uplift people a little bit, Perry, you mentioned there's been some good things that you've noticed. What are some of those good things that you could hit upon? Well, let's look back to last week's game. Um, Not only we'll touch on some of the key players, but I didn't think that we, we, we fought from start to finish. We, we played, we battled, we contested. It was 24, 17, at one point, just scrapping and clawing, playing on the road to Texas A&M is a difficult place to play. Um, you look at the bright spots. I mean, you start at the quarterback position. Spencer has been a godsend to the team. I mean, he, without him, man, it's hard to say where we would be right now. Um, he's playing great football. It was great to see Nick Harbor out there. You know, I know he dropped a ball in the first quarter, but everybody uplifted him. He came back and finished with a really strong game. Defensively, they're getting better. They're really getting settled in. 
um, you know, they, uh, they, they got, they got beat with a big play to finish out the half, which I think really, really hurt our chances um, to, uh, to pull away and, and come away with a victory. I think you limit that, keep them to 24 points. And I think that there's a different attitude going into that fourth quarter. Um, defensively, they're starting to look better. Um, so I hope that we'll be able to tie, you know, the, 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 the success of the quarterback in the passing game. We need to do a better job protecting. Um, we still are really struggling there and running the football has been tough, even though the last couple of teams that we've played, they're elite at um, at the defensive line position. And like I said, I think playing a Jacksonville State team will allow us a little bit more breathing room, even though I'll tell you, we were just chatting like seven and two with their only losses to Liberty and Coastal Carolina, two teams that I don't think I would want us to play right now. <laughs> um, so we've got to be focused and ready to play if we want to win the game. You mentioned just the defenses that South Carolina has gone up against, especially those defensive lines, Texas A&M going into the game. And now after the game, they remain number one in the country in sacks. Offensively, I know some people will look at some of the intentional groundings that took place with Spencer Rattler as a quarterback. And again, it's not making excuses. It's just trying to let people know on the outside that don't understand that haven't played that position, including myself but you have Beamer mentioned yesterday during his teleconference, the message going into the week for Spencer was not to take negative yards, right? Trying to yep. find ways to either get the football away, do stuff like that. Yep. What did you notice from what Spencer was trying to do, what he maybe could have done a better job of and what did you like? <laughs> Again, some people will look at it and they'll just think it was just all negative, all bad, but I'm sure there's certain things that you notice as a former quarterback. Yeah, there were a couple of times where he was just he was pinned and he had nowhere to go. So he turned and launched it. Right. So a couple of times you can't get out of everything. But uh, one thing I try to train my quarterbacks to do is, you know, once you've hit the top of your drop and you're starting to get outside the pocket, go. Don't stop and try to come back across the field. A lot of times that doesn't work out well. Just stay out of the pocket. If nothing's there, either throw it away or run. Um, the other thing is when you're at the top of your drop. Um, I tell my guys, you want to work up into the pocket if possible. Um, it's really challenging to set and then get outside um, just because of how fast and how talented and athletic those defensive ends are and outside linebackers at that level. It really puts a strain on uh, not only your tackles, but it's hard to get out and around and then even make a play. And then, golly, if they grab you and then you got to chunk it out of bounds, but you're still technically in the pocket, now they can throw that intentional grounding flag. You know, it's hard, but I mean, you could um, you could evidently see that the message was get rid of the ball. Don't take negative plays. Don't take sacks. You know, when you get behind the sticks like that, it kills any offense. And, um, you know, the uh, unfortunately, a couple times he got caught, but a couple times held on the ball a little too long. But um, all in all, um, you know, it's hard to uh, I know you, you're asking a pointed question with the uh, intentional groundings, but. I think there are a lot of other things that um, I think we could have done to where those penalties necessarily would have been a lot more minimized instead of because of our limited possessions and limited drives. When you look at a play like that, you go, oh, if we didn't have that, we would have been X, Y, and Z. Well, he would have been sacked, right? Exactly, so yep. You've got you, you to get rid of He does have to get rid of the ball, but just in watching, the guys are just getting beat. 
I don't really know what else to say. I mean, the guys go to pass set and guys are running right by them or splitting double teams. And, um, you know, I hope that, um, you know, I hope that getting back at home and not on the road, they're able to communicate better, feel a little bit more comfortable um, playing in Williams Bryce. And so um, all of that matters, all of that, all of that stuff matters, especially when playing on the road and, and uh, getting back at home will help us uh, hopefully settle in. And we'll wait and see if Vershawn Lee is back in the lineup this weekend after missing the last two games. Shane Beamer on Sunday listed him as an early questionable for the week. So we'll have to wait and see what his status will be this weekend. But I bring that up, though, Perry, because, you know, whether Vershawn is back in the lineup and South Carolina is struggling to give Spencer that consistency from a protection standpoint, or if Vershawn's not out there and you have Sidney Fugar out there or Wanamaker, whoever at right tackle, maybe it's even Jatavia Shivers, regardless of what the offensive line is this weekend, if they're not being consistent with their, their blocking, what would you, you know, put your headset on? I know you are a coach, but put your headset on. What would you like to see USD, USC do some more of? Because I think some fans instantly think, well, just bring in a couple tight ends and make the box a little bit tighter. I don't know if you would necessarily agree with that, but that also means there's going to be more defenders in the box too that you're going to have to go up against. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, you mean that doesn't really fix the Sounds problem. Sounds so much easier said than done though, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, you got, you know, you got the uh, the Monday armchair quarterback, Monday morning armchair QBs out there coaching everybody up, but never played a look of down of football. But no, I mean, there's an, there's you know numerous things you can do, but eventually you do have to drop back past. You have to um, throw the football down the field if you really want to win. Um, you also have to run the ball well, but I think both balance each other out incredibly when when you have you know offensive line and the tools and the toolbox to go and make it happen. You can run draws and screens. You can roll the pocket. You can slide protect. You can cut block. There's lot, lots of different things. I think one thing that, um, you know, we can struggle with is getting in a routine of the way that we were taught the game. So you look at maybe somebody coming from the NFL where a lot of the times they're doing a lot of drop back pass and um, you can get a bit drop back pass heavy, but you do have to call those to win and you, um, you can't completely change what you do um, and the the scheme that you have to um, what's the right word to um, to to mold and flex on who you have at the offensive line because eventually like they still have to block whether you cut protect whether you throw a screen whether you roll the pocket you still have to get in front of somebody and prohibit them from attacking whoever has the football. Um, we just, unfortunately, we don't get a ton of push. So when we get and drop back past the, the downs are obvious. So guys are able to pin their ears back and come. And then when you're able to get pressure with your four down, right. Or even your three down and you're dropping seven or eight in the coverage windows are tight. Quarterback has to hold on, hold on to the ball longer, still getting pressure on the quarterback. And it causes a lot of disruption for an offense. Very beginning of the game, South Carolina's defense, they did some really good things. I mean, through the yeah. first 11 plays, they created three sacks, which heading mm -hmm. into the game, they only had 13 sacks all year. So yeah. really good start. And I'm just looking at the number of plays real quick. I mentioned the three sacks through the first 11 plays, and then Texas A&M had seven plays. So three, eight, seven. And then that next series, they scored, they scored, they scored. Now, some of that has to do with, 
field position, special teams not being able to flip the field the way that they probably needed to to be able to help the defense out. But at the end of the day, you have to get things done. I, I say all that, though, because to start the game, USC, they came out in a 3-3-5 look. And it seemed like AM wasn't ready for that. Shane Beamer mentioned on Sunday that it was to be able to give them some more speed to create some disruption, which they did exactly that. But it seems like Texas AM was able to adjust to that. Was there anything that you noticed once AM was starting to get into a rhythm that the defense maybe wasn't doing a, a better job of? Or is it just simply just not executing the way that they needed to? Yeah, I think AM made a lot of really solid adjustments. I think they were uh, they were giving the quarterback lots of quick and easy reads where the ball was getting out of his hand quickly. Um, and, you know, they weren't having crazy explosive runs, but they were efficient in what they were trying to do. And it was just kind of like death by a thousand cuts is that, you know, you take that one, um, unless I'm, my memory is not being jogged correctly, you know, you take that one big play at the end of half and we really kept the ball in front of us the whole day. Um, but, you know, Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino are two of the best in the business. And they, you know, slowly were able to chip away at our defense. And they really played into the limited depth that we do have. And, um, you know, they, they, they just kept, you know, we just never really settled in. You know, we'd have a really couple good drives and then they'd score. A couple good drives and they'd score. And, and I know I've already harped on it once or twice but you take away that big play there at the end of the half and the other thing that's hurt our defense too is um i think our i don't know what the time of possession was in the first half offensively for us but you know we we uh defensively we were out there for a good bit and um you know giving them the ball late in the first half where they were able to take that shot for the end zone um i clearly as i've said it came back to bite us yeah that previous drive right before the 40 what was it 40 something 42 yeah. yard score that you're mentioning right before the half they were on the field for 10 plays <laughs> 48 yard drive because again yep. short field position but they were on the field for six minutes 19 seconds and it was just chipping away yeah. chipping away chipping away uh i do want to bring this up as we wrap things up you enrolled at South Carolina and was part of the football team in 2013. So you were part of towards the end of that, that greatest span outside of the black magic year. And this week in South Carolina will honor the 2010 through 2013 teams. And you had an opportunity to play some, play with some really talented guys. Yeah. What made that time period so special? I know again, USC right now, as Bill Parcells would say, you are what your record says you are. You're two and six. However, and you mentioned this to me before we hopped on, you know, you're still optimistic about the direction of where this program is headed. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from that time period, from that 2010 to 2013 period that made that that era so dominant for Gamecock football? You take away the obvious talent, right? There was clearly great players all over the field, but we competed against team with great players. So look at the conference you're in. The number one takeaway, and this goes for every athlete and every coach, it's so important, but it was the expectation to win every time you stepped on the field. That was one thing that I noticed with that team. And then fast forward a couple of years later, you know, we were going 500. I think, you know, we, we, you know, three and nine, we really struggled. And the mindset of those teams were, we're the Gamecocks. We are South Carolina. We don't lose these type of games. We we are going to go out and dominate this game from start to finish. Um, 
And that, that was the mentality. I mean, you look back at that fantastic comeback we had in 13 at Missouri where Connor came in and just played his butt off and we came back, went into overtime and ended up winning that game. And there were some moments in that game where it looked like it was over, but we, you know, just the fight and the belief and truly the expectation to win was what set the bar. And that was something that coach Spurrier, um, he had <clears throat> going back to even his days at Duke in the late eighties. I mean, he just, every time he put that visor on, and was on the sideline, his expectation was to win. And because of that, that trickled down into his staff and then into the players. And when you have the mental fortitude that I am going to win this game, I don't know how, I don't know who's going to make the big play to win, but it's going to happen. Um, good things happen. And that's the mentality that we need to embrace back if we ever want to reach those levels of, of, uh, of success again. Perry Orth, once again, former Gamecock quarterback and captain, joining us this week on Mix in a Water Monday. Appreciate it, Perry. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me.